What's going on, family? My name is Aaronton Smith, and welcome back to podcast. In this episode, you will hear a message entitled Empire. Although this message was originally delivered at an ordination service, I'm convinced that the principles talked about in this talk would help our vision of Christ be more clear and help our relationship with him flourish like never before. Grace and peace, family. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your mercy, your grace, everything you've done, everything you're doing, and what you will do. We thank you for your continuous grace, your continuous mercy, and we ask that you would touch every chapter, every pastor, every teacher whom you have called and commissioned for your glory. Touch them this evening. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this gathering. We ask you to meet us in this room. We ask you to meet us and for us not to leave the same way we came in. May this message glorify you and be used to bless your people. In Jesus' name, and together the church said, amen. amen. I am often asked, why become a chaplain? And out of all the different types of chaplaincy, why full-time prison chaplaincy? The answer is, is very complex. But I can tell you this, I was fortunate enough to try almost every form of ministry that my credentials allowed. I was a hospital chaplain, a sports chaplain, spent some time serving local churches, big and small. And after doing that, I was given the opportunity to visit a federal prison in Virginia. I was in seminary at the time, about a year away from graduation. And at the time, I was actually unsure if I wanted to take a job at a church post-graduation or work as a full-time chaplain. I went to the prison and I volunteered and I participated in three church services. And I'll tell you that those three church services were some of the most powerful experiences I had ever had. I saw men praising and thanking God for freedom in spite of their physical chains. Although these men were in bondage physically, they were just grateful to be free spiritually. That day I was able to baptize numerous men. And at the end of those services, I went to my mentor, who, who was the head chaplain of that federal prison. And I said to him, I said, hey, I, I know without a shadow of a doubt that this is what I want to do. Two years later, I moved to Atlanta as a federal prison chaplain. It took some time to get adjusted, to get comfortable with the new environment. But once I got rolling, I got rolling. Once I got comfortable, I got comfortable and I had some wins. I had impressed the right people and eventually my job became just a job, not a ministry. And I remember calling my mentor, the same mentor who gave me the opportunity to volunteer at the federal prison in Virginia. I remember calling him and telling him about some of my wins, some of my success stories, some of the things that I had accomplished. And he responded and said this. He said, sir, are you building men? That's good you're doing all those things, but are you building men? Are you building people? I left that conversation shook to my core. 
because I knew the answer was I was not building men. Instead, I was on the track of building my own corporate Christian empire. I was building a great 401k plan. With a great TSP, I was building a great career trajectory. I had to repent and remember why I first got into ministry. I had to be reminded that ministry was about building people, not programs. I had to be reminded that ministry was about building disciples, not social clubs. And I had to be reminded that ministry was about storing treasures in heaven, not storing treasures on earth. I had to be reminded to build God's kingdom, not my own empire. This morning, I want to preach a message simply entitled A Preacher's Empire. A Preacher's Empire. If you have your Bibles, please stand and turn to Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. A Preacher's Empire. Genesis chapter 11. Verses 1 through 9. The whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make brick. And they said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower with its top in the sky. Let's make a name for ourselves. Catch that. Let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered throughout the earth. Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building. And the Lord said, if they had begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible. Come, let's go down there and confuse their language so that they would not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth and they stopped building the city. Therefore, it is called Babel, for there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. This is the word of the Lord. You may now be seated. For us to fully understand this passage in Genesis chapter 11, one must first understand what takes, take, what takes place prior. In Genesis chapter 7, the flood takes place. God floods the entire world due to sin and rebellion. And then in Genesis chapter 8, the flood subsides. In Genesis chapter 9, God gives the covenant of the rainbow and vows to never destroy, to never destroy the earth by water again. God also gave his people a new assignment in Genesis chapter 9. That assignment was simple. It, it was be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the earth. To refill the earth with God's people. That was the assignment that God gave the descendants of Noah. And that assignment was very clear throughout Genesis chapter 9. In Genesis 9-1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In Genesis 9, verse 7, as for you, be fruitful and multiply and populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. And then in Genesis chapter 10, you have the table of nations. This is just where the author of Genesis describes the descendants of Noah. And then we get to chapter 11. 
You have our opening passage. You have the story of the Tower of Babel. You have people who share the same language. They share the same culture and are told by God to fill the earth with people, to spread out. They are told to rebuild the human population after the flood. The people of Babel rebelled and chose to do their own thing. They decided to build a city with the tower that reached the heavens in effort to make a name for themselves. They wanted to make a name for for themselves. Eventually, God comes down. He sees the city. He sees the tower. He decides to, to spread the people out. And he also decides to change their language. Now, historians suggest that this is no more than 100 years after the flood. So in 100 years, the earth had gone away from God. In 100 years, the population is still one tribe. It's still one language. It's still one nation. It's still one family. Now, all this seems to be good. One might ask, preacher, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with them being one nation, one tribe, and one family? Well, God told them to be fruitful and multiply. He told them to refill and repopulate the earth. God told the people whom whom he spared to fill the earth, but the people of Babel were so self-centered that they decided to build their own empire and make a name for themselves instead of doing what God actually called them to do, which was to build people. Instead of building people, Babel decided to build their own empire. In verse 3 and 4, the Bible says the people of Babel said to each other, come, let's make brick. Let's build a city with the tower that reaches to the heavens. Let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered throughout the earth. The people of Babel said amongst themselves, forget doing what God told us to do. Forget filling the earth with people. Forget being fruitful and multiplying. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's build ourselves an empire. Let's build ourselves a ministry. Let's build ourselves a career. Otherwise, we'll be scattered throughout the earth. The people of Babel were uninterested in doing the will of God. They were uninterested in filling the earth with God's people, even though that's what God called them to do. God called them to a simple task, to populate or repopulate the earth. But they wanted to build an empire for their own glory. How often, church? How often do we as ministers of the gospel set aside the simple thing that God called us to do in order to build an empire for ourselves? How often do we as ministers of the gospel set aside the simple task of making disciples to build our own success stories that come along with our own towers that are often called tabernacles. How often? You see, God called us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all that he commanded. We are called to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. God called us to be fruitful and multiply in the area of discipleship. God called us to build people. How often do we dismiss this simple task in order to execute our own vision, our own plans, in order just to make a name 
for ourselves. Now, church, follow me. I, I don't have a problem with us building ministries. I don't really have a problem with us building successful careers. I don't even have a problem with the many programs that we put on. But if we are not making disciples, we are simply building our own Christian empires that have nothing to do with the heart of God. The self-centeredness of man is indicated in verse 3. With this statement, they said to one another, come let us. They repeated again in verse 4, come let us. For those who are under the sound of my voice, for those who are being ordained and licensed today, please remember this. It is not about us. It is about the glory of God alone. But trust me, I understand the temptation to join the rat race, to join the people of Babel and build our own earthly empires on the back of ministry. But my friend, remember why you first got into the ministry. This is the temptation for every preacher to leave God's simple command of making and teaching disciples in order to build something that will bring glory to yourself. This was the temptation that Babel fell into. In fact, it was the same temptation that Lucifer fell into. Think about it. Ezekiel 28 describes Lucifer as one who was in the presence of God. Ezekiel also describes Lucifer as one who was beautiful. He was covered in carnelian, topaz, diamond, jasper, and emeralds. He was a beautiful creature. Not only that, but Ezekiel describes Lucifer as one who was a, an, an, an anointed guardian angel. Lucifer had some rank in heaven, if you will. He had some authority. He had great importance in serving God in his kingdom. But that was not enough, was it, church? Instead of serving the plan and call of God, Lucifer wanted to do his own thing. He wanted to build his own empire. Why is it that creation is always yearning for the spot of the creator? The people of Babel ignored the simple command that God gave them all to build something that would bring glory to themselves. Just like Lucifer, they wanted to build an empire for their glory, not God's. The story continues. The Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the people were building. And the Lord said, if they begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan will be impossible. Notice how verse 5 and 6 says, the Lord said that they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan will be impossible. Dear Mr. Preacher, God is aware of your potential. God is aware of your potential to build and to brand God is aware of your potential. In fact, he put it there. You see, the problem with our potential is it sometimes grows faster than our character. Please hear me. Our gifts will take us far, but we can't let our giftings take us to places that our character can't keep us. The Bible says that the people of Babel, if they remained one, then nothing they planned would be impossible. The problem wasn't the gifting that the people of Babel had. Perhaps the problem was the timing and the fact that God called them to do something else. 
God knows many of us have the ability to do great things, to, to establish great things, to say great things, to stand on great stages. But God's primary goal for us isn't for us to be successful, but for us to be holy. God's goal for us isn't for us to be famous, but to be faithful. God's goal for us isn't for us to be abundant, but for us to be obedient. And sometimes our character cannot withstand the platform that many of us want. And when our character cannot withstand the platform that many of us want, we often follow the footsteps of Babel. We follow the footsteps of Lucifer and we begin to build Christian empires without God. Perhaps if we wait for God to groom us, to shape us and to mold us, then we'll be able to withstand the platform that so many of us want. But that takes patience, chaplains, pastors, and preachers. Those who are getting ordained practice the art of patience and contentment. I would suggest, I would suggest that the calling of God without the timing of God may result into the absence of God. So when waiting on the timing of God, please practice patience in contentment, the story continues, and this is God speaking in verse 7 and 8. Come, let's go down there and confuse their language so that they would not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth and they stopped building the city. When reading this text, I ask myself, why? Why did God have to confuse their language? I told myself, why couldn't God just have scattered them throughout the earth and call it a day? Why did you have to change their language? This sure does seem to be an over-exaggeration. I mean, in response to rebellion, something that humans have been doing since the beginning of time, you separated them. Okay, I understand that. But you changed their language, God? I thought that to be a steep punishment. But one principle I try to live by is when God permits a thing, he permits it for a reason. So there must be a reason for God to have separated the people of Babel and changed their language. I began to look within and I realized that we often see the multiplicity of languages as a hindrance of the spread of the gospel, which then would be a hindrance for the glory of Christ. But what if that's not the case? Because it takes a much greater God to save, to save multiple languages with multiple different cultures than for him to just break in on one single language or single culture. Perhaps the reason for God to spread the earth in the first place was to make much of his power and his glory so that his power and glory could be shown off to the masses by way of mission. I'm learning. The God's will for mankind is not that we find joy in being praised, but that we find joy in praising him. But yet we are constantly wrestling with this temptation to build our own empire, to build our own kingdom in the name of God. It's just the temptation we have. We want to do it for the glory of God, but, but our flesh keeps getting, in, keeps getting in the way. Now, I was glad when they told me that we would be ordaining a few chaplains 
in a few future chapters. So, so chaplains, can we just have a chaplain and a chaplain conversation? I mean, just me and you, just between me and you. You don't got to tell nobody about it. Can we just have a chaplain the chaplain conversation? Is that okay? All right, cool. Thank you so much. You see, chaplains, we have the privilege to bring Christ to corporate America. We have the privilege to be ambassadors for Christ in the public square. And we get paid for it. But while working in corporate America, sometimes corporate America can get the best of us. And we become more corporate than Christian. Chaplains, don't let these systems cause you to forget your calling. I work for the BOP, which is under the Department of Justice. Being a federal worker is great, but it's unique. And if I'm not careful, I can become more of a bureaucrat than an ambassador for God. If I'm not careful, I can get so caught up in trying to check the boxes and stack my own financial security that I forget that folks need to hear the gospel. Just like the people of Babylon. Just like the people of Babel, so enraptured by our own world, by our own empire, that we neglect filling the earth with God's people. Hear me? We build towers, but we neglect building disciples. We build cities, but we neglect building people. Matthew chapter 7 is starting to make a little bit more sense for me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name, perform many miracles. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Leave me, you who practice lawlessness. Notice how Matthew lists the greatest things you can do as a Christian. Prophecy, casting out demons, miracles. And the response to these great programs, the response to these great accomplishments, the response to these great ministry opportunities, it is not well done, my good and faithful servant. Instead, it's, I never knew you. You practice a worker of lawlessness. And what's even more What's even more interesting is verse 21 in Matthew 7 seems to suggest that those who did these great things in ministry, they healed the sick, they prophesied, they they performed the miracles. It seems to, to suggest that they still didn't do the will of the Father. I urge you. I urge you to make sure you are doing the will of the Father. Build people, not towers. Build people, not cities. Now someone says, hey preacher, I got it now. I get your point, but how do I stay on mission? Someone says, I don't wanna be like Babel and build a city all for my own glory. I don't want to be like Babylon and build a ministry all for my own glory and never do anything for the glory of Christ. I don't want to be like the people in Matthew chapter 7. Do all these great things, but God never know me. How do I stay away from the temptation to build my own kingdom on the back of Christian ministry? I'm so glad you asked. Here's some application. Number one, 
Don't chase the perception of success. Don't chase the perception of success. That's easier said than done. We live in a world of comparison due to social media. We are at times completely content with where God has us until we get on Instagram and Facebook and start comparing ourselves to our peers. We live in a world where Christians make a name for themselves, but never really make a difference. So please do not chase the perception of success. Don't you dare compare yourself to your peer on Instagram because you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Please don't chase the perception of success, my brother. Please don't do it, my sister. Chase what God says is successful. One of my favorite artists, his name is P.J. Morton. Does he make Christian music? Sometimes, but if, if it makes you feel more comfortable, he's a pastor's kid. And, uh, but P.J. makes sofa music. He makes good, clean music. He makes that type of music you want to ride around the car with your wife with, if you know what I'm saying. He, he, he makes that good, clean, soulful music. And I, and I recently discovered that P.J. Morton is, he is the most successful artist that no one knows. I was listening to a podcast and I discovered that he won four Grammys in a row. I discovered that he performed at the Super Bowl a few years ago. He's written for and produced some of the biggest, for some of the biggest artists in the world. He's done many great things. He owns his own label. He owns his own music. Yet, he said in his interview, he said he can go to Target and no one knows him. He can go to Walmart and no one knows him. In the interview, PJ said, don't chase the perception of success over actual success. And what he was alluding to was he doesn't chase fame and popularity because those things do not equate to success. Chaplains, I'm going to go back to you. Because I heard that and I thought about you. I heard that and I thought about some of you pastors. Chaplains are some of the most accomplished people I know. It's just the world doesn't know. I know chaplains who stop people from committing suicide. Just the world never heard about it. I know chaplains who counsel and help bring peace to those who have been in combat, but you never hear that on the news. Chaplains help transform kingpins into becoming productive members of society. I've seen it. It's just the world has not seen it. Chaplains are in the business of setting people free. It's just no one knows. Pastors spend hours on sermon preparation. Pastors spend their lives, their lives, being concerned about people who don't care about their own life. Pastors are not always celebrated. Society, we don't always see the value in pastors, but it's okay to be an underground hero, church. It's okay to not be famous as long as you're faithful, church. You may never get applause on earth, but trust me, brother, heaven knows your name. Pastors, it's your turn now. Can I talk to you? Pastors, can we just have a pastor to pastor conversation? Can we have that? You don't got to tell nobody, it's just between me and you, okay? Let me tell you something. I am a byproduct of pastors. Plural. 
I'm a byproduct of good youth pastors. Can I tell you something, Pastor? I don't remember not one pre-service game that my youth pastor put on. I don't remember not one youth camp. I don't, I don't know if, it, if I even remember or not. I don't remember not one song. And we put a lot of energy into music. In fact, I don't remember a whole lot of sermons that my pastors ever preached to me. But I do remember them coming to my games. I, I, I do remember the prayers. I, I do remember the random phone calls and text messages just to check in. I do remember the driving lessons. I do remember being pushed and being challenged. I do remember someone seeing something in me that I didn't see in myself. Pastor, if you are going to be a shepherd, make sure you smell like sheep. If you are going to pastor, make sure you are around people. Pastor, just because we can draw a crowd, that does not mean we are successful. Hear me, don't chase the perception of success. Chase what God deems as successful. Pastor, I'm not condemning large crowds. No, I'm not. All I'm saying is if you have a big crowd, that doesn't make you successful. But if you have a small crowd, that does not make you unsuccessful. The question you should be asking, are you building people? Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12 talks about how God gave the church, the church people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints, follow me, to equip the saints and build up the saints for the work of ministry. A lot of times we have this talk about loving the lost, but how can we love the lost if we can't even love the found? Whatever your call is, chaplain, pastor, evangelist, teacher, are you equipping, are you equipping the saints for the work of ministry? Are you building people? Because that's successful. Don't chase the perception of success. Just do what God called you to do. My next piece of application is this. Remember, Babylon will fall. Remember the things we build on earth will not last forever, but they will fall. You see, the root of most of our problems in society is that we treat this world with permanency. Life on earth is the shortest period in our eternal lives. You think you're going to care about what you built on earth in 100 years? You think you're going to care about the program that you put on that got thousands of likes on Instagram but no likes in heaven? You think you're going to care about that in 100 years? We can't treat this life like it's the last stop in the train, people. We are all going to have to face God one day the same way the people of Babel had to face God. You know, the word Babel in Hebrew occurs 200 times in the Old Testament, and it is translated Babylon. And Revelation 18 paints a clear picture of Babylon fall with all the human energy. With all the effort, with all the trying, with all the, with all the money that was invested into Babylon, it will all be worth nothing. Because Babylon will come to an end. Here's a description that marks out a latter day tower of Babylon or tower of Babel. In Revelation, her sins are heaped high as heaven. 
Think about how similar that is to our opening text. Her sins are heaped high as heaven. As she has glorified herself and lived in luxury, give her a measure of torment and mourning since her heart says, I sit as queen. I am no widow. I shall see no mourning. Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour, your judgment has come. So just like Lucifer, who didn't want to serve God anymore, but he wanted to do his own thing, he fell. Just like the people of Babel, they built their own city with a tower that reached to the heavens. They did all this working to build a name, to make a name for themselves, but guess what? It fell. The earth, Babylon, will fall. The earth is passing away and anything in it will fall. Babylon will not last forever. The scriptures told us this. That the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Maybe that is why the saints that come before us would say only one life soon to pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. To every preacher, to every pastor, to every chaplain, to every evangelist who was under the sound of my voice, I have one charge. Build people, not programs. Build disciples, not social clubs. Store treasures in heaven, not on earth. Build God's kingdom, not your own earthly empire. Build people. Build people, church, and build for the glory of Christ alone. Please stand.